Welcome to the Packet Pushers Priority Queue. I visited the 98th meeting of the Internet Engineering Task Force in Chicago, courtesy of Huawei, who helped to fund travel for no reason other than to help us get out the good word about what the IETF is doing. And to that end, we're speaking with several working group leaders and other IETF participants about what is on their minds. And uh, today we've got Aaliyah Atlas and Tony P. Tony, I'm not even going to try to pronounce your last name, uh, but uh, Aaliyah, starting, Wise man. starting with you, Aaliyah, <laughs> would you just briefly introduce yourself? Sure. Hi, I'm Aaliyah Atlas. I'm one of the routing area directors in the IETF, and I'm a distinguished engineer in the routing group at Juniper. Uh, before Juniper, I was over at British Telecom, and I did you know network modeling and analysis. And before that, I was at Google playing in the data center space. And before that, I did um, a lot of things at Avicii, yes, a lot of yes, MPLS. Yes. Lots of things. <laughs> and, and, and Tony P., would you introduce yourself? Uh, yeah, I started routing 91, 90, something like that. It wasn't big. (laughs) (laughs) You could count those people on one hand. And then, you know, a couple of research labs, a couple of startups, you know. And now I'm also a distinguished engineer uh, in the same unmanageable group that Aliyah is in, you know. We call, I don't know, what are we called? Loose cats? No, architecture group. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And you're ruling the ITF these days? Uh, So I'm doing, right now I'm chairing the beer stuff, yeah, and causing unrest in different places. And by beer, we don't mean beer like most of you are thinking. We are talking about uh, B-I-E-R, Bit Index Explicit Replication, which is a, well, it's proposed as a replacement for multicast, right? Uh, Who wants to give give me the high level on what beer is all about? It is not a replacement for multicast in the sense, right? Um, It is not solving the large-scale multicast problem. Uh, what it is, it is an underlay which makes an IP fabric truly a fabric. Like a, you have a router, you have a backplane, and that has replicating capability to support multicast, you know, to send stuff around the fabric. So we're going from a, where IP is pretty much a unicast forwarding technology to something which, which can function as a true fabric. So it can replicate internally very efficiently. And that opens a lot of applications. And one of them is the traditional multicast becomes kind of an overlay. Right, but it only scales to a certain size, to a couple thousand receivers, which for a lot of applications today uh, is actually very beneficial. Yeah, it's funny you put it that way because as I was trying to get a handle on what the technology is and how it works, I said to myself, "Well, okay, multicast is the the world in which beer seems to come up as uh, you know as the primary use case." But I thought to myself, "You could do a lot with this." So for the engineering people that are uh, listening to this, beer has a string. That string is bitwise, and if you flip a bit on a particular uh, position, it is therefore an indicator of send this traffic to these other routers, each position in that bit string representing a remote destination. Yeah. Yes. The thing that's really cool about beer, but also a little exciting, is that unlike IP forwarding, uh, IPv4 and IPv6 unicast forwarding, which is longest prefix first, mm-hmm. beer is forwarding based upon this bitmap where you go through and figure out which interface to ship it out based on a bitmap. You clear off the bits based on where you sent it off, and then you go back through again. So you have the replication and multiple lookups. But one of the other really interesting things about beer is the separation of forwarding from control state in a logical way that's kind of similar to NPLS and kind of similar to segment routing. So normally, when you have PIM or such, you have to know who's in the group, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. And the thing about beer is at the edge of the network, whoever puts on that beer header 
is the one that figures out, oh, these are the receivers. It has control of who's going to hear about it. And all of the routers in the middle don't see. Exactly. Not every router that's in this forwarding fabric, if you will, have to know every flow state for all of these multicast receivers. So you can also see it in a, in a different, uh, using a different analogy with helps. Just like within the core, you only, you only look up prefixes. You don't really know what are the specific host addresses. These bit forwarding tables are kind of like, just like prefix tables, so they compress very nicely, right? And uh, you don't have to hold a route, a host route everywhere. So it is kind of an analogous to an IP forwarding table, which scales because you can summarize prefixes, right? And you'd only do the longest prefix match. And this has a different type of match, but it's something that tastes in a similar way, right? That's how we basically, we, we're wringing out the state out of the core where it's expensive, right? It's expensive both in terms of silicon where you have to hold it, but also expensive in terms of protocols that have to convert so much state. What would the control plane look like for beer? Oh, so it's uh, superbly simple. We basically hijacked IGPs. Ah, uh-huh. <laughs> that's where I came in, right? Like, you can't just put stuff into IGPs. Hijack is in, is in piggybacking off of an existing IGPs? Correct. Okay. Uh, yes, right, because they are, you know, they are being often tried to be abused as a broadcast. I mean, it's beautiful. I want it everywhere. Let's grab an IGP. They send stuff everywhere. Now, that is mostly a very bad idea, right? <laughs> because IGPs are very, very costly. But since this brings so much value to the table, right? The gods of the IGP said, like, okay, we'll let that one slide, right? And that brings out all the multicast protocols. You don't run any PIM. You don't run anything. You literally piggyback this little bit, little thing on the IGP and you're done. Just like um, segment routing where you have the SID, or you have, in this case, you have a bit per potential receiving router or whatever the, whatever the recipient is that gets flooded out. So it has as, oh, I'm, you know, bit number 10. And then everyone knows, then whoever's the sender knows, ah, if I want it to get to that particular receiver, I'll set bit 10 in the bitmap. And off it goes. And so once you have that, you're in good shape. And then this lets it plug in to things like MVPN. So you have your BGP come in, and in the core, you say, ah, for this VPN, the traffic's trying to go to this set of receivers. You put the beer header on and ship it off, and instead of being constrained to do ingress replication or to run PIM across your core and have have the various state, it goes so you have a bunch of geeks as listener right so some of them will now go they do what <laughs> <laughs> so it's interesting to observe that the bits you only uh, um, use for the edge routers for the receivers so the guys in the middle do not need any bit assignment right so they're transparent in a sense because otherwise the thing will have a hard time to scale whereas if you just address the edge right the size of the thing in the middle really doesn't matter well, it's a typical you know, data center problem too, right? Uh, just leave spine in an IP fabric. You try to keep in as consolidated information as much as possible. Right. And one of the potential applications, it's not someplace I think beer's going yet. Well, no, not as far as the data center. I'm just trying to draw a parallel. But, but one of the things that's interesting, if you think about the data center and you think about removing not needing state, one of the things that beer could facilitate in the future if there were technical extensions is 
application-aware multicast, where you don't have to worry about having multicast groups. You would be able to do something like the application says, oh, I want to talk to this group, and therefore it knows which virtual machines it needs to talk to. The hypervisor could just – so I want to talk to this application. That translates to a set of groups. The hypervisor could then translate that into the uh, other destinations and ship it across the data center fabric using the beer header, no state – in the data center fabric about those multicast groups. And, uh, the, you know, so, so to make it less abstract now, lots of the, well, lots of the application today are not being thought uh, about this way because there's simply no fabric technology on IPs or group membership is expensive, right? So think about storage. The storage guys are coming out with very interesting applications. They have a striping backupping volume problem, right? So every packet goes to a different set of receivers, if you think that, because they're striping or they're having, you know, they're replicating. With, without beer, you would have for every possible receiver set maintain a group, which is extremely costly. With beer, you just flip the bits. And by expensive, just so people listen and get what you're saying, someone's got to track all that, keep all that state, and so on. That's what we you mean by expensive. You have to expensive. converge the protocols, and you need the silicon to hold all this state in the middle, which right. traditionally costs an arm and a leg, and then some. Okay, so as far as beer goes in the IETF, wh- where are we at? Is it draft? Is it uh, a standard? Is it? Uh, and then from there, wh- what, what does adoption look like? Because we have a silicon challenge here, do we not? Yes, we do have a silicon challenge. There's a working group. It's been chartered for... Mm, slightly over two years, I believe, and it is chartered to do experimental work. Chartered means in IETF context, this is a working group that's been recognized and the charter has defined what the working group is supposed to accomplish with this. So it's got officialness. We are on a very tight leash by this lady. (laughs) (laughs) It is extremely, yes, it is an official working group of the IETF. It has been so for a couple years right now, right. and if you go to the IETF website, if you go to datatracker.ietf.com, you can find the working group and look at the charter and the milestones and the documents. The documents that are there are extremely mature, and most of them are ready to go to working group last call. There are some implementations of a lot of the work. One of the most recent excellent uh, pieces that was done is to combine the different uh, encapsulations. So you have the same encapsulation that, of course, can go underneath an MPLS stack, but it can also just go into an Ethernet frame and have, so you have Ethernet and then you have the beer header directly. And so that should, I think, be an advantage in a number of applications. Now, uh, Aliyah, I noticed you presenting to Nanog about beer, and as soon as you started talking about it, you lit up and got very excited. What is it about beer that you just, why do you love this technology? It's a really Good idea. It's so <laughs> yes, it's going and touching the hourglass space, you know, the hourglass where you've got just V4 and V6 and you sort of have MPLS in there. But we haven't had sort of a no- something that's really a novel forwarding idea that has the ability to transform what's possible. So we talk about it in a very targeted, oh, you can use this for your MVPNs. But then we talked about here, if you use it in your data center, your applications can suddenly have very close to free as far as the network fabric's concerned. Multicast groups. You want to multicast to a group? Go for it. And it's just there. And then another potential application, this is just really very early, but in the home, right? There's the home networking group and we have a protocol called Babel that's being worked on being standardized, but they also need multicast in the home. And the idea of taking PIM 
and having it auto-configured to run in the home seems exciting. But you know, there are more immediate drivers. So, for example, you know, the MVPN stuff is coming on strong. And traditionally, you no, know, L3 VPN became, I think, last counting, what six hundred billion dollar business. I mean, it's enormous, and you can sell MVPN with it because it simply doesn't scale, right? If you try to run, you try to give people multicast with VPN, you are maxing out very quickly. So, you either make it very expensive, you know, or otherwise, yeah, well, you just make it very expensive, or you provide it to few. So people don't play with expensive stuff, right? So this has, this has the potential to make a multicast VPN being basically dirt cheap, just Isn't being thrown into free. Is there that much demand for multicast VPN? I mean, there's a, there's a small number of very significant multicast because installations so in the world. But. I mean, if you presented a pretty significant bill, right? Everyone wants a Ferrari. And then when the bill arrives, everybody just settles for, for a Fiat Panda, right? <laughs> if it becomes just dirt cheap, it's just thrown in, you'll find people who play with it. Uh, the other thing is EVPN. EVPN is forcing a lot of broadcast multicast on us, point, right? And it is an extremely popular technology. And if you look at the newest MPLS forum last week, Cisco came out and said, like, EVPN is the way to go everywhere, right? And it is a very good solution for if you have a multi-tenant, you know, overlay, VLAN stretching, all the ugliness, right? If you have the luxury that you don't, fine. But the reality for most of the people is that they are faced with the technology, and that technology demands, you know, good bump support. So you flip on beer, you see a very, very significant reduction in the volume that you carry on it. There is another aspect which is less understood. Beer has OEM built straight in. And there is a class of multicast users that are very interested in good OEM. Okay, how hard is the silicon problem to solve then? It's like always with the silicon guys. They say they're going to die, and they just could turn around and do it. <laughs> like, like It's all money, right? Money makes buildings fly. So in, in other words, some customers got to make the case to Broadcom and whoever else, we want this, guys. We want this. And this process has been going on for two years, and a good amount of people have been pushed over, and there is enough money on the table. I mean, the whole thing hasn't been started from like, it's so cool. Yes, it's cool, but where's the buck? I mean, IP is the four-stroke engine. This is not anymore a bunch of researchers playing, right? And this is the thing is, yes, I light up because I like the technology, but the group's experimental because we need to see the business motivations to be driving it out into the world and into silicon. There's software implementations, you know, network processors. This is not something which, not, which network processors couldn't do, but getting it seriously available does mean silicon. I mean, I make no mistake about it. It can still spectacularly flame out and splash. But it is, it was, uh, it is in every case, a risk well worth taking. Well, it seems like if you make the case for multicast uh, and there's so much other potential for other things, it's one of those things where if it's there and you can do something with it, today it's a multicast use case and tomorrow it's something else that could be really I interesting. Think really... Okay, so think also about the fact that the data center guys, I mean, certain class of customers are moving away from the chassis. And what they're finding is that then replacing this huge thing with a small thing, they somehow have to strip those things together. And you know what they're doing? They're basically building router backplanes exogenous. So they explode them outside. And they end up with the same problem. Remote line cards, essentially. Right, yeah. So basically what, what you find yourself is with the backplane. And the backplane traditionally had something like beer on them when you look at the chassis because that's how you efficiently run a chassis with a lot of line cards. Yep. 
All right, let's move the topics ahead here. Uh, another interesting one that, uh, Aliyah, you brought to my attention was Rift, Routing and Fat Trees, which is a, if I understand it right, correct me if I'm wrong, a proposal for a new routing protocol that would be very specific an application that is for essentially a leaf-spine fabric uh, in a data center. It is a combination of distance vector and link state, where it would be link state facing down towards the spine, distance vector facing uh, north. Did Just I get that right? Opposite. <laughs> opposite? Okay. Oh, yes. I'm sorry. Link state towards the... Okay, I'll pull the quote here from the draft. Link state towards the spine, distance vector towards the leaves. Is that is that right? That's right. That's right. Okay, I apologize if I said it wrong. Um, and, and the intent is here with this routing protocol to have a very efficient means of uh, carrying traffic uh, for the underlay in uh, in leaf spine. That, that's how I understood it. But okay, now in the intro to that in that draft, um, it mentions that well, yeah, we did standardize this for BGP, but you know. BGP maybe wasn't the best way to do that. Well, we didn't standardize it for BGP. There's an informational document because yeah. there was it was a here this is how you can use BGP, but it wasn't and and it's been being used, right? And it, and it, and it is, right? It came out of um uh Microsoft I think was the the test bed for that and where they kind of proved it out and where a lot of the a lot of what they learned about using BGP in the data center was was kind of formalized in that informational document. So right, not standardized. I didn't mean to overstate, but but you know, it's an RFC that you can go and read and refer to and many people have done exactly that. Um but again, in the in the Rift intro, it kind it doesn't go into detail, but it kind of says, yeah, you know, we did this with BGP, but, uh, you know, there's really, there's a better, there's no, better tools. No, not a, well, uh, thing like that. The data centers grew, so they went through a natural progression. Originally, they were L2. No one wanted L3. It was considered a stupid idea. Why would I do IP, right? It's slow, it's expensive silicon, blah, blah, blah. So then they ended up, ended up running L2. Then they ended up running Mac in Mac, Right face their own share of problems. Then they started to go towards L3 forwarding. At a certain point in time, when you go into L3 forwarding, you find all these people that are camping there and go like, nada, nada, you build it big enough, you have to route. Okay? Yeah. Right, so the natural progression was grab BGP. You know, it comes from like availability, what people are familiar with. BGP is like, the last podcast was BGP is the most successful virus, right? Yeah, they got infected. Right. <laughs> Uh, so they had a very long way, and they're still running lot, lots of problems. It is solving lots of problems. People went to great lengths to extend it, to modify it to their purposes. But when we looked at the requirements that the data center poses, a good clause, and now start to think about a clause, it's really a fabric again. So this is becoming like the standardized building block of networking. So don't even think I'm building a network. I'm buying a CPU. So I want a fabric that will give me this capacity. And I want this fabric to behave like a CPU. I don't want all this complicated uh, configuration. Which then drives us to the requirements that are listed in that document. And the requirements, when you go backwards from the requirements, you realize the traditional routing protocols are too flexible. They're built for arbitrary meshes. They do all kinds of stuff which you don't need on a fabric. Because a fabric is a very predictable, constrained environment, so you don't have to build for every possible scenario. So you can start to think of how do you build an iPhone of networking, one button, right? And all of a sudden, when you think from the bottom in a completely novel way about the thing, you realize that they can actually attack problems and solve problems for them, which traditional protocols cannot touch, like, you know, automatic deaggregation on failures, and you can come up with something which pushes on the leaves, just a D4 route, which allows for an extremely cheap silicon. 
In other words, silicon, you don't need to carry uh, tens or hundreds of thousands of routes depending on the size. Maybe you do, but you don't have to do it for the underlay. You can use it for your overlay where the money really is, right? Because that leads again to the EVPN stuff. EVPN is, you know, it has its own weight. If you burn your whole silicon to run the underlay, where do you fit the overlay that really pays you bills? Because underlay is just something to make things work. No one pays you for a good underlay, right? So, so uh, requirements that were listed in here include a minimum routing information and leaf nodes. We were just mentioning that ECMP, of course, uh, traffic engineering, or, or what I would define as exception routing, where you can move things around uh, in an arbitrary way, you know, a defined way by policy, as opposed to the normal, what you would consider the normal way. Air quotes. Uh, detection of cabling faults, which I want to talk about. Um, minimally disruptive changes to the fabric topology. So you can pull a node out, you can change links, and you really don't notice. Uh, so, so that means also that you see, so one of these things, you can, of course, run a flat IGP. And, and it works in its own way, but then everybody ends up with all the state. But there are subtle problems. Any link breaks anywhere. The whole fabric shakes. Because there's, conver- there's a convergence time that's got to happen now, recalculation. Absolutely. And- so if you build a protocol which is specialized to provide something where the blast radius is minimal, you see a lot of very desirable properties. It just becomes more stable, just far more resilient to you know, misconfiguration, far more resilient to link failures affecting other pieces of the fabric and so on and so on. Right. And by having the link state going up at the spine, if you want to have something that's planning out your paths, you have full visibility into the topology. If you want to have a network management to know what your state of your network, what your fa- state of the fabric is, it's all there and visible, which is harder to get um, with the BGP solution. Yeah, so then you end up with BGPLS, which is a graft on top of BGP, right? And you just, the virus becomes fairly sophisticated, right? <laughs> like, yeah. No, I mean, those are all engineering trade-offs, right? And they change depend where the money is and what people are doing with the stuff. And we, we are ha- you know, happily providing all the, you know, we're the purveyors of... Complexity? The complexity. Yeah, I know. I shouldn't have said that. Russ will have a heyday. I'm sure there will be comments from Russ about that. Okay, so so a few things I want to drill into here with Rift. Uh, you know, one is this topology d- discovery, if you will. Now, most of the solutions I've seen for this, where you are validating that your leaf spine is all cabled correctly, is done with some bit of software that's doing LLDP analysis, perhaps, and then comparing that against uh, you know some kind of a doc file. That so uh, those are all proprietary solution. Everybody's cooking their own little thing, right? So how do you how do you do this within Rift? It's actually fairly simple. Okay. You just because you are in a, such a predictable topology, you just pretty much need to know which pot you're in and which level. And you know what the clause allows. Actually, if, uh, the thing the whole thing is not limited to clause. If you want to build something more funky, you can just put different constraints in. But there's nothing that prevents you with the minimal amount of configuration to figure out that those guys are not supposed to talk to each other. And you can put it straight into the protocol. In, in close cases, like the leaf cannot talk to the super spine. So if you pull a cable there, you go like, this guy is three levels away. I, I cannot talk to him. It implies a clear um, labeling or defining of what each node is. That's so actually, when you look at that stuff, it falls out as very little configuration because you can also do any, right? So as an example, the, the leaves are at level zero. So you don't configure anything. Right, the zero is a default value, and then if you want, you put a pot. So if you put them in the different pots, they will not come up, right? If if you miscable between pots, so actually it falls out fairly simple if you look through the details. Um, so it, it is actually 
an intriguing idea that looks initially very complex when you look at the details is actually fairly simple. But what it comes down to is because you have assumptions that you can hold to yes. for what the fabric topology, what the constraints of the fabric topology are, you can do these things. If you have an arbitrary topo- network topology, it's a lot more complicated. You can assume nothing. Right. Yeah. And similarly to the misca- to the ca- detecting miscabling issue, again, the whole concept of being able to do one type of information up and another type to the north bound and another type southbound implies that you have a north and southbound and you just don't in a backbone, right? But in a data center, you do. Right, right. Okay, so then traffic engineering. Um, Policy-guided prefixes seems to be the magic there, and I didn't get into the details too deeply. Can you summarize that for me? This would be the thing that allows us to route in an arbitrary way. Sure. So the idea here is that you can have something like BGP communities, you know, whatever your cookie is, and then on the different routers you can say, this is what it means. And so you can use that to restrict which which interfaces – the routes accepted from. And so in this way, you can steer it along particular paths to head down. Oh, so it's not a, it's almost a forwarding paradigm by filtering where you're manipulating what the routing, how the routing table converges on a particular well, distance node. Vector. BGP does the same. Yeah. You, by, by policy, you suppress stuff. This thing has a bunch of beneficial magic in it that falls out because you understand the topology. So you actually don't have to slosh all these prefixes many times around until the whole thing converges. You always send it in the same direction. So the, so the diffuse computation just progresses once through the fabric. You and don't then have you, loops. And then you, you never have loops. So that makes the convergence and the simplicity you know, of the whole thing. Um, many interesting things happen. You only filter on the ingress. And, and it's, it's hard to get, get your head around the idea first. You don't generate an update per neighbor. So having many neighbors becomes very cheap because you just flood a piece of information. So it goes at speed of flooding. And you filter on the ingress. Now something interesting happens. Because you filter on the ingress and you regenerate, you have a true policy on it, right? So you can actually go and steer traffic. You can do funky stuff. You can distribute information, suppress it in places. But what happens is when you change your policy, you don't need to refresh. You have the thing flooded to you. So you just compute your policy once again over it. So there is none of the complexity of the whole route refresh that normal distance vector brings with it. Now, this sort of uh, manipulation is, is the way I'm hearing it described. It doesn't make sense that it's going to be done by a configuration stands on a human. There's probably going to be some piece of software that's going to be leveraged that will then manipulate. Oh, but you can very well push the stuff down through the controllers. You can push yeah. the policies with controllers. I mean, Rift doesn't prevent you from like pushing on top of the stuff, just like it's being done with the BGP on the fabric. You can just override all the decisions. It will work just fine. And you could also have well-known communities, for instance, just like you do in BGP. So if you want to have well-known policies, you could say, here's my well-known. You know, but what that set would be is going to depend. Uh, imagine that you inject it from the super spine and you've send it southbound. And you have a community which says go left or go right. Mm-hmm. And you split your fabric in two. And half the information is left and half the information is right. Whatever that means to you, right? And it could be as broad as that or you could get very granular with it down to a specific flow if you wanted to. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Okay, which is actually kind of related to the next question I have here, automatic disaggregation. So if I've got... Uh, just go ahead and explain that one. So that hasn't been done before. 
and it also initially looked extremely complex. It falls out very elegantly. Does it assume a particular IP numbering scheme? No, not at all. That's the beauty. So here's, let, let me, you can get into, but let, let me just do it quick. So the, She'll give you the thousand feet. And I'll, then give I'll give you the thousand feet. Story. I'll give you the details. That's fine. Well, it's not like you don't have both pictures too, but you want to go down into the details because the thousand foot story is you find out who other nodes at the same level in your same pod are connected to. So you can say, ah, if, you know, if Tony here isn't connected to you as being at a lower level in this case, you say, oh, okay, I want to make sure that I send a prefix to Ethan so that traffic that would normally go up to Tony won't go there. It will just come to me to go up further towards the spine. Maybe that didn't help. <laughs> yeah. So the problems that, well, the problem, I mean, something that people just live with because that's always very, they don't know how to really tackle it. If certain links fail, you, you may run black holing, especially because you're on such a wide ECMP, right? You may Because the, the aggregation can mask the correct. problem. Right. Yeah. That's the point. Yes. You want aggregation because it's very beneficial to amount of state and convergence. But then when things fail, that leads, as usual, to black holing, right? So people either do extremely tight numbering scheme. Really, there are numbering Nazis in corporation. So you take an IP address out there, you have probably like you know, seven forms to fill, right? I've tried to, I've tried to be one of those and usually failed. You know? yes, You're making and, it too hard. We just want to get things at all. And that is precisely the problem. And especially with something like VM mobility and so on, it becomes also infeasible. So there are a class of customers that have the luxury to be you know, a single tenant and be, are able to do this kind of stuff to an extent. For lots of op no, operational people, yes, it's a good idea that is completely infeasible. So the other solution, people just give up and run a flat IGP, right? And like pay the price, hose rods everywhere. This thing allows you this aggregation, but the moment the links fail, a very simple algorithm can figure out who has to disaggregate the minimum amount of information and push it to the lower layer. So they, because of the longest prefix match, will attract the traffic and prevent the other people. It is not ideal because... The next people who are smart operationally go like, wow, but he may not have all the bandwidth that the other guy has because some link failed, right? So he should attract two-thirds of the traffic, to which my answer is, unfortunately, then every change has to propagate through the whole fabric. And that's probably not what you want. Okay, to, you are to get going, the two-thirds of the fabric. Yes, yeah. you are having 64 or 128 ECMP. What you want is the fabric saturated. You don't want it optimal, especially because the loads are changing so fast, you know, that unless you can do it in a nanosecond scale almost, you know, you, you'll fail. All right. One more question. We've talked about a very tightly constrained uh, leaf spine architecture, but there are those cases where you may want to take uh, two leaf nodes and connect them together. There's a shortcut there. Is Can we accommodate that within Yes, Rift? that's in. There are east-west links, but lots of the stuff, you know, I'm a Nazi, Right. It's a sales job. No, no. You know, you have to control the scope. At this point in time, it's a sales job. This is a radically different way of thinking about routing. When we start to slosh FRRs into that stuff and these links and these other exceptions, it just confuses the message, right? Unless people kind of adopt the idea and somehow soak it in. Then a lot of people will make a career to invent like, you know, ECMP FRR with special non-LFA and PQ nerve. Like, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, right? But that is not the time, right? This is radical enough that people have to 
grasp the big picture. And the input at this point in time is, like you say, like what is the topology holding up? Maybe people will go to different topologies. Maybe ideas will change. We have to keep this thing pliable to hit the big target. And then all the fine grain will, will, will come in, right? So what, what we're seeing is that convergence may be fast enough that things like FRR may become a non-issue. That's all to be shaken out. Well, you have ECMP. ECMP, the equivalent of fast reout, you know, as long as you have the ECMP, one link fails, you can go over it. It's only when you have yeah, redundancy. What we've talked about so far, FRR, it didn't even pop in my head as something you'd really need. Because we should be talking about very fast convergence. Depends on convergence speed. Look, if the, if the deaggregation hits you under sub-50 milli and it works, yeah. you don't need FRR. Yeah, if it turns out that people build those fabrics in a way where the disaggregation may not be fast enough, then people will say like, whoops, look, we have FRR. It's a pretty cool thing. We haven't talked about BFD yet, but I'm assuming that if BFD is part of the equation. Without BFD, nothing works fast today yeah. anymore, right? But I mean, that's well embedded into all everyone's silicon. I mean, this is becoming, you know, you see the route server discussion with the remote next stop. Everybody's piggybacking on BFD at this point in time. That is kind of like, you know, well understood that if you're a purveyor of IP at any, you know, higher level, you have to support very good BFD. And that is pushing it down into silicon. So then back to the original question there, which was a, a direct connect between leaf-leaf node, which in my mind is a, a violation of leaf-spine. You know, so ca- can I can I do that and, and have it be supported in Rift? Well, because Rift doesn't overload bit. Whichever you want to see it. The mother was the, you know, IGP and the father was BGP, maybe vice versa, right? It got the best genes of both. So it supports the overload bits. So on a leaf, you can very well carry the traffic just from leaf to leaf while setting the overload bits will detract anybody else to trying to take a shortcut through you. Okay. So it ends up being a, a special purpose link, which is probably what you intended for it to be anyway. Precisely, yes. Precisely. You can have east-west links at any layer. Okay. So, so it's not just at the leaf layer. You can also have it at higher layers in the network. But the practical experience is that people don't want to do that, which leads like much deeper into how they run data centers and watch properties of the fabric they want. It changes the predictability of the traffic flow and latency. Yes, precisely. Got... That's where it's going. Yes, yes. Oversubscription rate and so on. But that's way out of the scope you know, of this work. Some of the context for Rift is as we said, the evolution for the data center and looking and saying, if BGP is insufficient, there's a number of other ideas that are thrashing around and we're working on nailing down what the requirements are. In, I mean, in the IETF in general, we're looking at trying to nail down better what the requirements are around data center routing. Rift is an idea that we've been working on, but what we're really looking for is also good feedback and requirements See, there's a Strowman proposal. It's pretty, I mean, pretty early on then. Yeah, it's, it's, very, it's yeah. a Strowman proposal, right? There's like three, four different ideas sloshing around BGP, SPF, and so on. Well, it's, it's, it's stronger than a Strowman proposal. I mean, there's a, there's a fairly good amount of detail and thought that has clearly gone into this so far, uh, the way that draft reads. I mean, not every detail, you know, far from that, but people have put enough thought into this that it's very clearly a viable uh, no, concept I, should people yes, want to advance Yes, but what I'm it. conveying, I mean, we are not religious about it. This thing is, that's why it's not fleshed out in all this exquisite detail. It is keep, kept very pliable, right? So so people that are listening to this that might be interested in Rift think they have uh, you know, some interest in that and want to provide input. You know, how, how do I direct them? You know, they go to ietf.org. This is in which working group? Do they just search for Rift? Is that the easiest way to get into what docs have been published? So certainly we'd be interested in hearing it. I know they can comment on the podcast as well. We'll be looking. Um, 
In the IETF, currently the problem around routing in the data center is being discussed in RTGWG, which is the Routing Area Working Group. That's because that is a place where new ideas coalesce. We are looking at the issues around suggestions for not just Rift, but how to modify BGP rather significantly with the shortest path first algorithm, as well as oh. idea. Yeah, I understand. <laughs> as well as ideas. You can't see the face I'm making, people, but I just made a face. Anyway. Yes, as well as ideas to handle ISIS. There's an open fabric proposal related to ISIS. So we're, it's clear that there's a problem that a lot of folks in industry in, in the IETF are interested in solving. And we need to hear from you from what, what the requirements are. We need to hear better to make some of those choices, figure out how to tune different options because beauty contests are no fun. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I don't know, but that's how things coalesce, right? Until they're like both ready or ready to die or whatever it is, right? That's why I also call it the Stroman proposal. There's five currents of thinking. There are customers being dazzled and confused and, you know, wildly in love with certain proposals. And you just, you know, you have people like ADs who are paid for nothing but sort through this kind of stuff and shoot the according people and, you know, praise the according people. Like. <laughs> <laughs> Praise. We only praise. <laughs> one more topic I want to hit here today, which is, um, uh, oh yeah, this is another one of your suggestions that we talk about SFC extensions for BGP. Now, I did a little bit of reading. Tell me if I found the right draft. This is NSH BGP control plane. Is that the topic we're, we're getting into? Oh, you're nodding yes. yes. Oh, good. I found the right one. Yes, it should be in, in the best working group. So if you're listening to this and you'd need to do some homework on what this is all about, go read the service function chaining documents. There's um, there's a few of them out there that explain network service header, what that is all about, and the information that's carried there. And what we're going to get into now is a control plane for NSH, uh, essentially. For it, service for, chains. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, NSH being the, you know, the, the creation of the service plane, the way the draft reads that creates that new term. And we just keep throwing everything into BGP, don't we? So um, yes, we, yeah. <laughs> you <laughs> noticed yeah. those great services. Oh, have been called red-handed after twenty years. <laughs> <laughs> so let me pull back to describe a little bit about service function chaining yes. first. Yes, please. Okay, so the idea with service function chaining is that you have virtual network functions, whether it's firewall or load balancing or DDoS mitigation, any type of deep packet inspection, all of the manipulation of Middlebox, a lot of these different service functions that get applied to traffic. They are not in line, which a lot of people listening to this, they still have old school traditional networks where they are in line, but that's not... Oh, then not, they know the pain. That's right. So now that we virtualize these things and put them wherever they are, we need some way to route the traffic to them when they're not in line, and that's where... Service function chaining comes in. Exactly. So, yes, if you're used to taking physical boxes for the different network service functions and sticking them in line with VLANs to connect them up... That pain is what we're trying to help with, and there's several pieces of it. One part is virtual network service functions, so now they could be in a VM. You can put them in or out as needed. We have orchestration, and there's all of the NFV work, network function virtualization work that's being done at this point elsewhere. But service function chaining is then saying, okay, let me identify the flow. Let me send it along a service path to hit each of those service instances or each of the different service functions. And then when it gets out the end, go away. And then when the responses come back, you can have symmetric 
service function so it hits the same walls because obviously a firewall you don't you, you need to see both sides of the conversation does love that state yeah it does love state yes so that's the basic idea so why are we doing bgp for a control plane. Well, backing up a step. Okay, yes. so one of the key things here is the is NSH, the network service header. So that has got pieces in it, the data as well as a metadata field. The metadata field we can kind of leave off to the side, but we've Well, yes, let me right. So the network service header contains the service function path. So what's what path is the traffic supposed to go on? Right. Yes. It also contain, indicates what the next hop is in terms of service function. And then gives us a direction of how we're going to get there. What is the encapsulation that we're going to do? So the he- the NSH header itself doesn't give doesn't. that. What you have instead is, you know, a router or a service function forwarder knows, okay, this is where the next – what is the next service function? It knows the next service function forwarder or router, and then it can know – in this case, discovered via BGP, how to get there. What's the right encapsulation to use as a transport mechanism? So one of the ideas with this is you can use NSH across multiple kinds of transports, everything from just UDP to Ethernet to whatever encapsulation floats your boat. The primary benefit of NSH is the ability to also add what's called metadata, which is basically information that applications can send between – the service functions can yeah. send between each other. So, for instance, if you have something that does deep packet inspection, it might pass some information on. If you have something that's like looking at HTTP and wanting to figure out where particular fields in the packet are, it might be able to pass information to send along. Not all service functions need that. It's very specific depending upon what your use case is. One of the things that I like about the BGP draft that we have is that it supports NSH as the default, but that you know a new encapsulation does have forwarding implications. So it also lets you handle it if you don't need to have metadata in your chain by being backwards compatible and using MPLS to identify the service function path and the next hop service function. So it's got and flexibility. Since Aliyah got this time, she got lost in the, the weeds of the small bits <laughs> pieces. Let me pop nice it up to weeks. the let me pop it up to the ten thousand feet. I mean, this bridge. Consider BGP is not a routing protocol by any means by now. This is an overlay state synchronization database. That's what we're really running now. And this bridge has been crossed with the twenty five forty seven bis. And I remember my discussion with Yakov, which ended me by me saying, Yakov, you cannot do that with the routing protocol. <laughs> and Yakov saw the future for the next 20 years. And so we crossed this bridge. And it works, it, you know, it, it, is, it has proven as an excellent solution to synchronize overlay state. And this SFC is nothing else but another funky overlay we're building. And if you look at the work that is progressing now, more and more towards, you know, where, where the BGP is going, we're having a draft. I'm bringing a draft to compress the amount of volume we are sending on sessions. We are starting to shove an enormous amount. If you look at how many megabytes we're pushing through BGP sessions, right? This is a database. We are talking now about, about things like the selective refreshes. We, 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 we cannot refresh a full thing now. We start to get things and throw it away because we are not configured to take it. So we ask the neighbor, if you get sloshed with 80 million routes, it's not a pleasant experience, right? So it starts to look more and more like a distributed database for overlay synchronization. Anything wrong with that? No. No. 
Look, nothing wrong with that. Distributed databases are inherently very bad at these kind of problems because we may lose links. The traditional databases work really well if they're on a very stable substrate. BGP is beautiful because it understands that things may break. I'm just going through that in my head because when you have a distributed database problem, uh, you, you, you have that split, fragmented scenario. Now I've got to reconcile. Exactly. And it is, and it is very, lives in very that world. costly. Precisely. So if you take anything like a SQL database and it loses a link between servers, boy, you better prepare for a day downtime while the thing is resynchronizing and the secondary is not available. BGP grew up in this world. So it's all very natural. You lose the stuff. You have GR. You, now you have selective refreshes. We built for this thing not being entirely stable. So BGP will have a very, you know, anything that tries to compete with BGP in this space will have a very, very hard time. So is it the routing protocol? Nah, never was. It was never <laughs> about reachability. It was about policy. Well, it's funny. When I, uh, when I talk to people who are new to BGP, I point out that, well, right, it carries IP routes. That's what you think of it, but those are NLRIs. That's just one type of data that BGP can so carry. So that was one of these geniuses of, of Yakov when you wrote... 25, when they wrote the MP, uh, MP right before 2547 was L3 VPN, that they named this thing an LRI. So I think Yakov, by design or chance, I knew the guy for a long time. I think it, he was just a visionary, you know, in, in a very humble cloth, working on very low bits, but he's so very, very far out there. Yeah, I agree with you, having known him, of course. I, but if I can pull back, the other thing that's really nice about BGP is on the one hand, you can have that database flood everywhere, the information you need, and that's used in this case to discover where the service functions are and report them back to, for instance, a controller that's going to do your path computation to compute your service function paths. So you yes. get to use the flooding that's in BGP, goes everywhere, can go to the controller, it learns all about and, it. And you have to have some kind of a function like that in right. in, in a world of uh, NFV where VNFs are stood up ephemerally. They, they come up and right. they go down. You need something to automate that. Right. Service discover it gives you service discovery. Yes. It's not so much services coming up, because if you have an orchestration layer that's doing it, of course you could tell the controller. It's when they go down yes. that you really want to have a flooding mechanism that tells you quickly. Stop chaining to the dead thing. Yes. It really sucks when your traffic goes <laughs> deaf and all. Yes. And then the other part with BGP is because you can target you know, you can have sessions so you can target where the information is going. So then you have a controller, a path computation controller, it's computing your service function paths based on what's needed. And then it can send out the information to the specific routers along the service function path that need to know it. So everyone doesn't have to have that state. So that's the BGP just because of the policy, you get, you have flexibility there. That's really useful in this case. Okay, so this is um, BGP is a control plane for uh, service. I keep saying forwarding, and that's I'm looking function. Yeah, service function chaining. Thank you, boy. How far along is that, uh, and how will we look? Because I mean, NSH itself as a uh, as a tag for header, you know, whatever you want to call it, isn't even widely deployed. You know, now we're talking about a control plane to carry information that it, it will need, uh, and so on. How far is all this? It seems very nascent to me, and yet there's all this work and long documents. See, and- the NSH is orthogonal to this control plane problem. NSH is, will we even need an NSH? Because it carries the metadata, right? The chains you have to bring up, you have to do the discovery. So it's a really orthogonal problem. The, one of the things is the BGP solution lets you do it with NSH for the metadata when that's when that becomes available. Yes. And it also works... If instead you want to use MPLS labels as a 
this is what the hardware does now. Right. To, to speak to your point, Tony, I mean, it, right, this doesn't have to solve the problem for NSH. That happens to be some of the context in the draft and so on. But but right, we could be using whatever other methodology we decide on to to make the change. It's just a question of understanding the service function path and the service identifier. That's the information that needs right. to be carried. But to answer your, your questions on maturity, NSH is a working group draft in the service function chaining working group, SFC. It's very close to being done. They do have a few modifications to the header that are being made as a result of recent discussions. Is that a silicon problem, NSH, or not? Because as I'm thinking about it, you, you need to be able to pass it, but you don't have to read it as a transit device. You need to be able to read it as a, as a service function uh, forwarder. Exactly. So it doesn't have to be a silicon problem, no. Yeah, okay. So that's the status of that. The uh, BGP extensions for to support NS, SFC... Um, that was just adopted as a working group draft in the best working group. So you can go and read it. And I know you did. And it is being augmented with additional features, each version. And I'm sure that, you know, as it grows more mature, you know, make sure that it has the functionality that's fully needed. So it's the, the control plane piece is still relatively new, but uh, it seems to be quite interesting. Uh, falls out fairly naturally. You know, so there were earlier attempts like piggyback things on next tops and so on in BGP already, right? This one has an elegance. You know, when you look at the it has an elegance. You will see it, it reminds you of L3 VPN in a sense. It feels very natural the way it's building these things up. My take. No, I was actually really happy with the draft when I read it. I thought that it had a lot of it makes a lot of logical sense. And when I first looked at SFC, I thought, oh, well, you know, you could just use RSVPTE to set up the service function paths, but that doesn't solve the discovery part or the uh, ability to handle transit. Or, for instance, one of the things that comes na- just falls out from the BGP solution is the ability to go to the most local, you know, so you can make um, distance-based decisions about yes. which yes, service yes. function to go to. So you get a lot of these things just I won't say for free because no, nothing's for free, but as it falls naturally out of the technology selection. So the disclaimer here, it feels very naturally if you spend your career sneaking things into BGP. Okay. <laughs> yes, but I haven't spent my career sneaking things into BGP. I come at it much more from oh, the MPLS side. Yeah. And, I st- well, and the IGPs, of course. So the fact that I also thought that it, you know, I, I found it nat- more natural as well. Well, let's bring this podcast to an end, folks. Um, uh, Alia, how can people follow you on the internet? Oh, sure. So I am on LinkedIn. I'm also on Twitter and post there. I tend to post uh, IETF-related topics on both of those, and I'd be delighted to engage. Wonderful. Tony, how about you? Uh, Simplest is to look up the beer working group chairs. you find my contact info and so on. And otherwise, I'll, you know, I always cause trouble, so things pop up. <laughs> <laughs> Super. Yeah, beer as in B-I-E-R uh, on the IETF.org site. You can find all the information there. I'm Ethan Banks at EC Banks. This has been the Packet Pushers Priority Q podcast. Thanks for listening today, and thanks to Huawei for helping to make this special series from IETF 98 possible. You can find this and many more of our fine, free technical podcasts along with our community blog up at packetpushers.net. Follow us on Twitter at Packet Pushers. You can find us on LinkedIn. You can like us on Facebook, rate us on iTunes. Last but not least, remember that too much technology would never be enough.